Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. I'm Bo Wigington. There's a man known as the king of welding, and that would be Mr. John King. I got a chance to sit down with John right before the holidays and hear about how he started his business, JK Welding, as a side hustle that grew into a booming business. He tells about how he got started in welding, branching out on his own, and getting his first big break rebuilding a boardwalk after a hurricane. He also talks about the importance of being a fabricator as as well as a welder because it increases your value as well as the struggle many people are seeing finding workers in the workforce. Before we jump into the episode, we have a quick message from our good friend Dabs Wellington. Dabs, do you want to tell us a little bit about this competition that you have going on? Absolutely. It is our fourth annual high school seniors stick welding competition at American Welding Academy. We're located in Union, Missouri. The uh, festivities will be starting off. God, I'll probably be there from 4 a.m. Doors are going to open between 6 and 8. 8 o'clock, we'll have our first group of students starting. We're going to have four flights running throughout the day. So uh, that's going to leave us enough room for about 200 competitors. So there is limited space available for this, but I've been traveling through the entire Midwest trying to get high school seniors and drum up interest for this. It is an incredible opportunity to win a pipe welding course tuition paid. It's our way of bribing high school seniors with a $1,000 scholarship to come out and check out our beautiful facility. At this event, February 4th, you can win a $1,000 scholarship to a welding program over at American Welding Academy just for entering. To find out more about registration and info about the competition, head to awaweld.com. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience just in case they're not familiar with who you are and your work? Yeah, I'm John King. I'm owner of JK Welding Service, also Trails West Gate Company that's located in Chapel Hill. JK Welding is located in Cypress, Texas. I've been in business with JK Welding for 17 years, Trails West almost to four, three and a half to four. We specialize in custom fabrication. We're a specialty job shop. We do have day-to-day productions for structural pipe, aluminum, plate processing, stuff like that. But I started this business in my garage 17 years ago, and it's grown, and I have an exceptional team behind me that's highly skilled and devoted and doing well. 2022 was good, and 23 is looking even better. You did say you started it 17 years ago. I was reading an article how you were working for another company, and the guy just said, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Why don't you go strike out on your own? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my old boss was always kind of kidding with me, but then again, being serious man you don't belong here i'm like what do you mean man i gotta get a check to pay my bills and gotta live and he's like man you got too much talent you don't belong here and uh, your mindset for business it seems to be really good so i just started doing things on the side in my garage just fabricating cowboy furniture and deer feeders and deer stands and lamps and rocking chairs and all kind of stuff and and then I started advertising. You know, I'm a hustler, always have been. If I didn't have work, I was always looking for work. I was going to find a job. So I always printed out flyers and hand them out on windshields. That 
that was my Facebook and my Instagram back then, you know? I mean, that's what I did. I just went around to Sam's, Costco, Walmart, that kind of stuff, just handing out flyers on people's windshields, and that's how I got work. Well, speaking of social media, how did that change the game for you when that started rolling out? It changed the game a whole lot. And I think most people get it, especially the younger generation. But I think that a lot of people really don't take full advantage of the social media. Before social media came along, for us to have any kind of advertisement on Google or on the Internet or in the phone book. I know some people are wondering, what the hell is a phone book? You know? <laughs> but before then, you had to pay for it dearly. We were paying four to $6,000 a month to be found on Google and also to mainly be listed in the phone book. And that went away. And I dug deep in my roots of getting into Google and getting on the internet at an early age. And the longer you spend in Google and the more time that you spend trying to get deep roots into the internet, the more successful you are with that, the more exposure you're going to have versus someone who just got into it, you know? Yeah, I was excited and I really felt like I've taken good advantage of the social media as far as LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, you know, as far as Charles West, J.K. Weldon, also have another username called the King of Weldon. So I really like it. It has its pros and cons, you know, I'm sure everybody can agree. Yeah, it's easy to get trapped in your phone these days. I've learned one thing, not to argue on social media with anyone, you know. Yeah, because you're not going to get anywhere with the keyboard kings or Mr. Safety or Mr. Bossman from across the United States. I just learned to either delete it or I just don't reply at all. Yeah, that's a big struggle for a lot of people in the welding industry. Oh, yeah. I want to go back to when you started your company. So when was it that you were like, I need to hire someone to help me? Like, how was the growth process for you? So when I was working my full time job. At a forging plant, I was already in that position before I even quit. I had several guys working for me during the day while I was working my full-time job until I got to that comfort zone enough to where I felt like, okay, I can quit now. I can quit my job now and join the guys that I've hired that have been running my shop. I had two or three guys, like I said, just doing fabrication special projects. It's about a year and a half of running my full-time job and the side job. A year and a half to a year and nine months. And then after that, I got wore out, man. Yeah. It wore me out. It did. It wore me out. And, you know, that's just the kind of things that you got to do to go through to, to get to the next level of where you want to get. You got to strive and drive sometimes and don't quit. Don't give up. And I tell people that all the time. If you want some, act like you want it, you know? Well, and I see you do a lot of motivational speaking as well. Like I've seen oh, yeah. a lot of your motivational speaking online. Tell me a little bit about that. A lot of people look at me and see me as an inspirer and entrepreneur, of course. I've had other companies besides the two I've told you. So I guess they look upon me as a mentor. I get a lot of phone calls and a lot of messages and a lot of DMs in relation to wanting advice as far as business goes, what to do, what not to do, how'd you get started, what do I do here, what about insurance, what about payroll, what about workman's comp, all those kind of stuff. My learning ability of those kind of things through the years. And some of those things I learned the hard way, but I learned. But I like to inspire, I guess you'd say that the younger generation, you know, not only the younger generation, basically anyone. I've had guys my age or older calling me before asking me for advice, but inspirational speaking is great. I love doing it. I feel like it's part of my passion and it's definitely in my blood. I like seeing people succeed and doing well. And if I had something to do with that and helping them succeed or get to the next level, it just it's a great feeling that you can't explain. Definitely. As far as you were saying, you learned along the way on business. Did you have a business background or was this just learning on the fly? No, no, I went to the, I went to the school of hard knocks, brother. I didn't go to college. They probably would have kicked me out of college, man. <laughs> 
But no, I went to high school. I barely graduated high school. I just, I didn't have any other type of schooling or I didn't have anyone really inspiring me or helping me. I just learned along the way and had a good sense for it. What were some good resources for you as you were learning? I really don't know. I'll be honest with you. I don't know of any good resources. I just knew things as I went along, you know, and if I didn't know, I would just poke around till I find out, you know. The community of welding right now, it's really easy to get information. So say you're dealing with a job where you're not really sure what the best process is going to be. A lot of people can just post that out on either like Facebook, Instagram, wherever they're on the social media and people chime in and help out. I think that's awesome. But coming from before those times, it was probably a bit of a struggle to kind of learn it on your own. It was. And of course, we are the most powerful thing in the world right here. I mean, <laughs> you can learn to be a welder literally overnight. Learn how to weld anyway. You can learn how to weld. There's a difference between learning how to weld and being a welder. But uh, being a welder is important and it's a good trade. I always value the fact of not just being a welder, but also being a fabricator because it adds more value to yourself. And I'm always pictured that people do need to understand and know their value in life. But you become more of an asset when you become a fabricator that can reap prints and be able to fabricate things because not only will you make more money and become more value, but you will also not get laid off more than likely, or at least not for a while before others compared to if you were a welder versus a fabricator and a welder. And we employ a lot of our employees here at my company at JK Welding the same way. We always try to venture out to find guys who are combos, not combo welders, welders as far as welding and fabricating, understanding blueprints and drawings and stuff. I hear that the same idea in the pipe welding field like it's you're more valuable if you're a pipe fitter and a pipe welder. Same thing with fabricator and welder. Absolutely. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. You got to diversify your skills. You have to. When it comes to fabrication, tell me about the singing tree. So in 2016, I was contracted by a gentleman in Austin, Texas, who wanted this ringing singing tree. It's the only wind chime in the United States. There's one in Saudi Arabia. There's one in Great Britain. And this is the third one in the world. It weighs 60,000 pounds, 3,000 feet of pipe. If you can only capture what I'm talking about. You just go ahead and Google this. Look at our, any of our pages. You can see it. But the Ringing Singing Tree of Texas, it was located in Austin, Texas since 2016 when we built it. But we were contracted just three months ago to move it to Abilene, Texas. I got moved because, first of all, Abilene is a very artsy town. I don't know if you've ever, anyone's ever been there, but if you've been there, but if you go there, you can see there's a lot of art in that town. But besides that, it was a good location to pick for the gentleman who I built it for because he sold his property in Austin and the new owners did not want that piece on the property for liability purposes. And of course, I think they're going to build condos or whatever they're going to build their housing. Yeah. So he donated it to Abilene and donated some money and for them to contract me to dismantle it in Austin and we moved it to Abilene and we got that done about three months ago. Yeah. But the top three layers of it are, I have a special machine fluted holes. They're like really elongated yeah. and they're machined out. So the top three pipes face east and west because in the U.S. we have mainly have a north and south wind. So when the wind goes across the side edge of that pipe over that machined hole, it makes a special sound. A lot of people ask me, what does it sound like? Oh, to me, it sounds like a horror movie. 
You know, <laughs> it does. It sounds like a horror movie. It's got a unique sound to it. And you can listen to it. You go to our TikTok or go to our Facebook or Instagram. You can hear specialized videos that we have that we've captured throughout the install and throughout the spending some time around the tree. It's on our YouTube channel as well. I'll make sure to put a link to that because I, I'm very fascinated. Yeah. I want to hear it. Oh, yeah. I want to hear it in person, though. Audio is always a slight difference than the real thing. I want to be there. I want to feel the wind. Aren't you in Florida, Bo? Is that right? I'm actually in North Carolina. Oh, North Carolina. It's a little hall to Abilene, Texas, but yeah. hey, you're welcome to go anytime. It's sitting there, man. It's ready for you to check it out. I got to check it yeah. out. Yeah, it's a unique town. It's pretty cool. So can you tell me some of the large-scale projects you've done with your company? like the large-scale fabrication projects? Because a big thing I keep seeing in a lot of your interviews is that you do the jobs that no one else will do because you want to be able to figure it out. Can you tell me about those projects? So those are more of my favorite projects. We love to fabricate structural and plate and pipe and aluminum and stainless. We love doing all that kind of stuff. But when the projects come in that are a particular size or a particular unique design and no one else, from what I hear from the customer, no one else wants to take it on or they can't find anyone to take it on. That's what I like, really stepping in and figuring it out, designing it, engineering it, building it, delivering and installing the project, whatever that might be. More of the bigger projects that I've been involved with that I've really liked and enjoyed. Just this year recently, we fabricated a lot of 42-inch pipe and a huge structure for the government and installed it on an island in the middle of the Gulf down in Corpus Christi, Texas. So we were taking crew boats from the mainland to the island. There was nothing on the island except just maybe a couple of deer and some coyotes. There was nothing there. And we would go and fabricate all this structure and put a very high-end coating paint on this structure and then haul it down there by crew boat over to the island and installed it all on the island. It's to help when they dredge the bay and put pipelines in the bay, they dredge it out. All the dredge material goes onto this island and it's got a big 20-foot burn all around the outer perimeter. So it holds all the sludge and the mud, but the water drains off of it. So that was a very good project. That was probably four to five months long from start to finish. We're doing some other big projects right now down there. Besides that, we've done some other really unique, more of the popular projects, I guess you'd say, that we've done that are really unique that no one else, from like I said, that we hear from the customer, no one else they could find to do it. I'm not saying there's not anyone else that would do it, but when they come to us, they're pretty much exhausted out and said, man, I've called everybody I know and I can't find anyone. And I'm like, well, you called the right guy. Yeah. I think more of the popular projects that we've done that are bigger, that are special projects like that, are we designed and built a pirate ship for kids. And we designed it and built it here at J.K. Weldon and shipped it to Miami. And then it got shipped off of Miami onto a boat, onto a private island for Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines. What? (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty crazy. If you take a cruise ship, Royal Caribbean, and you stop at their private water park island, it's called Coco Cay Island. The first thing you see when you get off the boat is our 100-foot pirate ship for kids. This pirate ship is very unique, has all kind of different stairs and ladders and slides on it. It has pole slides. It has water tube slides. It's really cool. It's exciting for kids. Yeah. We built that. And uh, for Royal Caribbean, also for Tiny Town Studios. Great project. Yeah. How do you go about getting these jobs? Does the work find you or do you find the work? No, I don't ever go find the work. The work always finds us. We don't have a salesperson here out promoting us. 
going door to door or going off any kind of leads or trying to find anything that they could probably snag on social media. We don't have anyone that works for us that goes out to find their jobs. The jobs find us. Like I said, that's where the deep roots come in from the internet from the early stages. I've been in the internet for so long and deeply invested in that, it pays off in the long run. But besides that, our social media, our networking events that I attend, public speakings I attend. To me, there's not one thing that you can do to capture jobs like that. You've got to do it all the way across the board, do it all the way in every aspect there is. Otherwise, you can never pinpoint the fact of one thing that makes you successful to getting these jobs. What was your vision when you started your company? Did you have the vision of where you'd be today? Or is it a never-ending journey with you? You're never going to be satisfied with where you are. You always want to get better. What was your journey like there? First of all, I'm satisfied where I'm at. If there's a little bit more growth, I'm fine with it. I'm very satisfied. I'm very happy of me and my team of people who are very dedicated, very skilled. But besides that, when I first started, I think a lot of other owners or entrepreneurs can honor this or or agree that the fact that when you're first starting out, you don't just sit back in some little crappy office in the corner. It's not like Jeff Bezos and Amazon. He was envisioning something that was going to grow out of this world. And maybe some people do that. I don't do that. I never did that. All I was worried about and all I ever had to deal with was trying to think of how am I going to get the next job done and how in the hell we're going to do this work for the next week or next month. I was so busy with projects and helping people out and building things and fabricating stuff that never really had any downtime to sit back and go, you know, I wonder what it's going to be like in 15 years. I just don't have that thought process. I do now because I've been in it for a while now. I'm more relaxed. I'm more seasoned now. I have a lot more people working for me. So I, now I do have that time to sit back. Okay, I'm older now and I'm more seasoned and I can see what's going on. So you start having those thoughts now as you get older and then you get more involved with your company, more passionate and you get more sense, you get more wisdom, I guess you'd say. Have there been big mentors for you along the way? Not just rocking it, just rock it. Just not a single man. People asked me that before, and man, I try really hard to think about. Man, is it just someone I'm not thinking about? Is it someone that's not coming to mind? And man, I never think of anyone, you know. And sometimes I'm like, man, there's got to be someone, but there's not. There, there's there hasn't been. It's just know? that hard just work. Rocking it. Yeah, just a hard work, dedication, man. It just it's been rocketing. So I never look back. I just keep moving forward. <laughs> as far as the fabrication side, did you start off doing fabrication before you started your company, or was that just something that you started learning on your own on the side? So a little blue light from welding caught my eye in 1990. Okay, and in '91 I started fabricating and welding, and just started from there. I was a rig welder and I was a boulder maker for many years. I worked on a lot of hot furnaces, a lot of copper mines, a lot of wood mills, tree mills and stuff like that. From there, I went to work and became an air conditioning mechanic, a journeyman. I went and got an air conditioning license, did some air conditioning and a little bit of boulder work there, concealed boulder work. After that, I went to work for a forging company. And in a forging company, it's very dangerous, very nasty job, but you deal with all aspects of welding there. I would weld magnesium. And I would weld aluminum. I would weld all kind of thick metal from 12 inches thick plate all the way down to eighth inch plate. It was a wide variety. It's a really a great way of learning different aspects of welding when you work in the forging industry. 
the guys that I worked with that taught me the most, I don't know if you would say they were mentors, but when I hired into a forging plant here in Cypress, Texas, I was one of the youngest welders they had hired in like 30 years. So the youngest guy I got put with was like 58 or 60 years old. So everything we did was stick welding. They didn't have a plasma cutter. We just had a Victor torch and stick weld everything. Now I'm talking about stick welding aluminum, stick welding magnesium, stick welding just hard plate, just mild steel A36. We stick welded everything. They did not know what a wire feeder was. They didn't know even know what a shear was or press brake. You know, we hand bent everything by hand with torches and clamps and did it the hard way, the old school way. So that's how I was brought up welding. Late 90s, I brought an automatic welding hood to work and they looked like I was an alien when I walked into it and they're like, hey, what is that? I said, it's an automatic welding hood. Everybody's been wearing them sugar scoops, you know, the pop liner hoods. When they saw that, they about freaked out. They were like, are you kidding me? I'm like, no. Within a month, all them old men had them an automatic welding hood. <laughs> well, and I heard back when they first came out, they had nine volt batteries on them. Yeah, they did. It's amazing yeah. just like so, how far I mean, the technologies come in that aspect too. Yeah, it was a good times. I'm very grateful that I was able to work with those older guys and learn the, the old school way. I mean, it was very passionate. Those guys had a lot of passion. They didn't seem to express their passion in the same way that people do now who become welders. It's different now. It's way different now. So you could see the grit on the guys' overalls. You could see the dirt on their face and know they had passion without them even saying a word. You can see it in the work, see it in the art. That's why I think that welding is a true art. It really is. Yeah, it's a trade, but it is an artistic trade. I don't think that a lot of people, they don't look at it as an artistic skill, but it is. It's just like a skilled painter can put the paint on the canvas the way they want. It is very difficult to make a weld look the way you want it to look. Yeah, but everybody needs to also understand the way the paint was put on with the paintbrush 50 years ago is still being put on with a paintbrush the same way these days. Unlike welding, technology has advanced so much now to where welding has become so much easier. It's really helped people advance more into welding and making their welds look awesome to the yeah. world and gotten a lot of help from technology, which is great. I love technology with welding. It's awesome. It's great. It's really helped advance the welding world, especially in production from robot welders to just all kinds of different types of welding machines that we use today that make welds much easier and much more pretty, I guess you'd say. Do you have any robotic welders in your company? No, unfortunately, I don't believe in robots. A lot of people do. Some people don't. I've always kind of looked at it like robots take the true art out of welding. You're paying a machine. So in my mind, I've always had the thoughts along the lines of, I'd rather pay one of my skilled welders and his family versus paying the bank a banknote and me having a welder who's no longer a welder who's a machine butt puncher, or he's an operator now. He doesn't actually weld for a living. So all of our welds that you see here and everything that we fabricate here is all done by hand. We don't have any robots. I'm interested in all the new advances in robotics and everything, but it still just seems, unless you're pumping out thousands and thousands of the same exact thing, a welder can, if you just have a skilled welder, they could do the same thing as a robot and you don't have to program them. It's like the program is their training. Exactly. Yeah. So that's a, another big reason why we don't have robots here and I, I don't need robots here is when you're a specialty job shop, having robots, it's useless. You got to $250,000 robots in there. You can't even use it because 
you're making one-offs or you're making special projects that robot is not useful for us. When you're planning out these jobs, what is the process like when you get a large-scale job? What are your steps to make it digestible for your team to fabricate? That can be answered in several ways. It depends on what kind of job it is. If it's a job that needs designing and we need to go to the drawing board to draw or design things. That's one thing. But we're ISO compliant here. So everything that we do is documented. All the drawings are gone through and they're approved. We issue drawings to the shop and we issue a traveler with it. We issue a work order. We we order the material. And then when the packet goes out, the material arrives, the guys get the material and they start creating cut lists and cutting everything and start fabricating. They can tell by the traveler. We also have supervision here in the shop, over the shop. The guys indicate, you know, if it needs, what type of coating it needs or if it gets delivered or installed. I saw after, I can't remember the specific hurricane, but a hurricane came through down in your area and you rebuilt. Tell us about that project that you did a giant rebuild. Yeah. So that was in Kima, the Kima, Texas. The Kima boardwalk, it's like an elevated hovering boardwalk over the bay water. And along the edge of this boardwalk are restaurants you can go in and out of for various types of food. There's all kind of entertainment. There's roller coasters down there. There's carnival games, all that kind of stuff. So in 2008, Hurricane Ike came through and just devastated the coast of Texas. And it took out the Kima boardwalk. And that was my first big job that I got. First big break, I had a hire. I went literally from 12 or 15 guys to like 40 to 50 guys overnight. Dang. We were called by AD, ADB Construction Company who works for Tillman Fertitta. For Tillman Fertitta, he used to own UFC, I think. He owns several casinos and he owns the Houston Rockets and stuff like that. Anyway, that he owns Landry's and the Chemo area and the Chemo Boardwalk area. We went down there and did a lot of work for him, replacing all the structure that held up all the boards for the boardwalk, stairs, railings, stainless, all kind of stuff. We were down there for seven months. It's over an hour drive from my office, so it was very difficult because it was an hour and a half drive one way, and there was no place to stay down there. So we had to drive back and forth every day. And when you're working out in the field, working eight hours, you don't seem like you get enough done. So working 10 and 12 hours plus our drive, we were anywhere between 13 and 16 hours a day for six or seven months, seven days a week. So it was hard, but we got the job done. We're very happy and we're very proud that we had done that job. And that's been 14 years now. That's wild. When working with a team, so how do you run your team? Because a lot of people, when they're starting a business, they have a hard time trying to figure out how to run their team. What works best for you in making your team successful through your leadership? I have very skilled and very dedicated people, as I keep indicating, because I'm very proud of these people. But I have Brian Meyer, who's literally my right-hand man, who oversees the company, does, runs production, does a great job. He's got a foreman under him. Uh, You know, we have meetings periodically, and we're just making sure that we have the right tools for the right guys. And we do a lot of inspirational things for our employees to help keep them on their toes. They're highly respected. We feel like we pay them well, and we do a lot of extra little things for the employees that are noticeable so that they know that there's not a day goes by we don't appreciate them, you know? We have a lot of lunching sometimes. We give away stuff a lot of times for employees, especially at this time of year. It's Christmas. Yeah. And our Christmas... This party is in two days. Oh, man. And man, I tell you what, it's I'm more excited about this Christmas party this year than I've ever been. We're literally giving away $15,000, $20,000 in prizes to all them. Dang. 
we're giving away, we're playing all kinds of games and giving away cash and all kinds of gifts. And I mean, big gifts, like big Traeger grills and all kinds of stuff like that. But well, we're I excited. S- I saw your video where you were at the Outlaw Leather Shop. So I, you were yeah. <laughs> looking yeah, at all right this. Here. Yeah, Outlaw. man. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah, so Outlaw, they're really good friends of mine. They're great guys, great company, produce a great product. I mean, if you don't have a great product, I don't support you. I'm not going to tag you in anything. But those guys work their butt off, and they have, they have a great product. They really do. Their store compiles of all kinds of things, from shirts to welding hoods to leathers to chaps to welding supplies. They're teamed up with Blue Demon, Ishmael, and Chewy, which is Jesus, the owner, and Travis Caldwell. Them three guys are just rock stars, man. They're really cool guys. When you look for people to join your team, what do you look for in a welder fabricator? I answer that question quite often, and some of the top things are not even welding related, really. We're going to find out if you can weld or not in about five minutes when you get there. (laughs) Yeah. So the first things that we look for is the fact of showing up on time. It's the biggest problem that we have, especially here lately. But showing up on time, good mannerisms, working well with others, being respectful, making good welds. Those are the top five things that we look for. A lot of guys end up losing their job here because they can't show up on time. We have that problem or not show up at all. But as far as applying for the job or getting a job at JK Weldon, we are strict here. I say we're strict only because people label us that way, but we're really not strict. We just go by the rules. You have a job. So if your start time is at seven, don't show up at seven or one. You're putting your boots on in the parking lot. You need to be here before then. So we've always liked and always leaned more towards guys being here on time, being respectful and play well with others, help others out in the shop when trying to do a job, but just be helpful. After that, we see if you can weld and then we'll see if you want to, if you're able to keep your job. The amount of experience that's in your shop, like how many years of experience do you have working with you right now? Man, if you want to hold on for about an hour, let me add this up and I get back (laughs) with you. I can do that. But it's a lot. It's a lot of experience. Just in the office here, 70 70 years, 75 years just in the office. Actually, more than that, 90, 95. Yeah, 90, 95 years of experience in the office. In the shop, I don't know, man, maybe a thousand years. That's wild. And how big is your team? Like, how many people do you have working for you? I've had as many as 100. Right now, we're, we range between, I guess you'd say 35 and 50, depending on the workload and depending on who I can get to show up for an interview just so I can hire them. That's been an issue. I think our last go around was like 72 applications. We reviewed all the applications. I think we called in 12 or 15 for interviews. I think we hired eight, maybe nine. One showed up and he lasted a day. That's crazy. Now, that's happened more than once. That's happened two or three times. So things have changed. I'm thinking that we may have to start leaning more towards finding good, responsible welders that are coming out of high school and scope them and shape them to becoming badass welders, man. That's hopeful, finding the top welders and maybe doing something like that. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I have this conversation all the time talking about trying to get the younger generation into welding. I don't feel like it is really a hard thing to get them into it. They just have to be exposed to it. I agree with you. We need to get them younger and just train them because something has happened over the past 10 years in America where people are just different. I work every day, all day, every day. I don't like to stop because that's the type of guy I am. But it doesn't seem to be 
that way for everyone right now. Everyone seems more complacent and standoffish when it comes to working. I think there's multiple levels of different people who want to dedicate to different levels of welding. I think that you have a welder, a guy who wants to become a welder. He learns how to weld. He learns to go to school. He gets a job. He's a welder. He becomes a welder and a fabricator, does well for himself, makes a decent living. There's other ones that want to be welders and they maybe go to school or maybe just learn in the garage and they just like tinkering Mm -hmm. and just getting by. They can't hold a full-time job down because they don't want to. There's others that hold a full-time job down but don't show up very well or can't show up and they end up losing their job. They go out tractor supply or buy them a well machine, put back their truck. Now they're a rig welder. Sponsored by Hobart. Uh Yeah, we'll buy that old Hobart, yeah. Yeah, But I think there's, there's different levels of different People, they think success is various levels and people think various different ways of being successful or being a welder. I agree with you. Times have changed. Times have changed a lot. We have gone through hundreds and thousands of men here in the last 17 years. And I would say majority of us because people don't show up when there's a drug problem or a drinking problem. I think that's I think that's majority of the people that get a job and end up losing it because of one of those problems. From my background in the music industry, that's what burns out most people. I can imagine. And it is a struggle. And when you're on... When you're on the outside of it, looking in, it's really hard because I've dealt with addiction in my life and then had to overcome it. But you can't tell someone they're addicted to something because they'll never listen to you, right? They have to see it for themselves. And that's something that I try to motivate people that I see in that situation to try to get out. But you can't, the more you try to help someone, it seems the more they try to fight you on it. The effects of what media has done to people over the past, 10, 15, 20 years, everyone's just been like, this is what it means to be cool. And this is what it means to be successful. And it just has warped people. And it's hard right now trying to find people that are going to be reliable to come work for you. And a lot of people feel your pain on that. But no one really has an answer of how we change that. If I find the answer, I will tell you first, man. I appreciate that. I'd have to agree with you, man. What is your definition of a welder? Because we've been talking about someone who learns how to weld, but I've talked to a lot of people that say, this is what a welder is. What is a welder in your eyes? That all depends if you're talking structural, stainless, aluminum, pipe, because those are all different aspects of weld. But in general, to answer your question, a welder must know his gap settings on whether it's structural or pipe. In order to be have a successful weld for it to pass x-ray, pass MPT, UT or just visual inspection. I think that you need to know your proper gap settings and you must know your wire flow, your gas flow, you know, understand the instrument. Talking welding machine here, quote unquote. Know your welding machine, know your settings, and you can be successful in laying the right and proper welds down based upon what is being asked of you, whether it's on the drawings or it's from the boss man. Understanding your heat settings and knowing how to flow it and you must knowing how to flow all that in all different positions. That's what creates a really good welder. It's them understanding the machine and understanding how the metal flows in all positions. Yeah. My problem with typical education right now is that people go to school to work on how to pass a couple different tests. We're going to teach you how to pass a test to go get a job. And then their job is going to be to teach you everything. I feel like to be a welder, understanding all the different processes you want to use, because there's so many different directions you can go in the welding world. A lot of people don't like stick welding, but stick welding is one of my favorite processes. I love it. It is very That's what I I learned on That's what I learned on, man. I feel like you should learn on stick. And there's a varying opinion on that. 
but stick is a very difficult process. MIG welding is very easy to pick up and TIG welding, it's a little difficult to pick up, but once you understand it, it's a lot easier to control and hide your mistakes. But stick welding mm. is like a very honest weld. You can't really hide it. So if you did it wrong, you, you can you see. Can't, you can't dry run over stick welding. If you screw up in TIG welding, you just run a dry weld over it and just it's all covered up. It's all good. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, that's what I grew up on. That's what I learned on the stick welding, whether it's 6010 or 6011 or 7018 or 110, 18, whatever it is. Stick welding to me is probably the most valuable welding that you could learn because, man, you do a lot of work. We do a lot of work out in the field and we don't always have the applications to do wire welding. We do have suitcases. We're able to do that. But there are times where we're on a 57 story building and it was just easy to pack up stick welder and get it done versus hauling bottles up there and trying to weld or flux pool weld or whatever it is. Of course, it's a big enough project. It's worth the time, but there are times where we have to haul a little stick welder. We get one of the little Fronius machines and stick that baby in and man, we're cooking, man. We've done a lot of work up inside grocery stores like HEV, just welding uh, RTU, which is rooftop unit structures into, into the rafters during the nighttime while the grocery stores got low customers, low amount of customers, or they're closed. Stick welding, man, that's the way to go. On that island you went to, you probably had to do specifically TIG welding out there, or oh, stick yeah. welding. Yeah, and the welding schools that I see around these days are really good. Some of them are good, some of them aren't. I'm not going to indicate this or that, but I see a lot, a huge lack of kids or students misunderstanding or not understanding the machine at all, their heat settings, their wire settings. Of course, they go into the same booth every day, and a lot of times they get stuck in that same booth and just weld it all day, and the instructor may come by and check on them once or twice. But I see a large lack of knowledge, education, fabrication in these welding schools. And what I'm mainly talking about is the biggest problem I see is students and kids not understanding math. Math is the biggest key to success in welding. Whether you're counting money or whether you're deducting, you know, off of beams or channels or you're building some structure and need to know the deduction for a 90 degree elbow on a pipe. There's all different aspects of math. And I think math is the most important thing. And if you don't know math and anyone listening to this, if you don't know it, get your ass back in school, learn it, because it's going to be most valuable to you, not only at work, but also at home and just in life in general. Know your math, know your blueprints, you will get somewhere a lot further in life. And I think that kind of leads us into, I usually try to end each podcast asking my guests, what is your biggest advice for someone that is new into the welding game or they want to take their business to the next level? If you're new in the welding game, my advice to you is go to school, learn prints, learn math. Most importantly, learn how to read a measuring tape because you wouldn't believe how many people I've ran across in my life that cannot read a measuring tape. It's ridiculous. It is crazy. And I think that is very important if you're going to get somewhere in life as a welder. Someone trying to move to the next level, my best advice, do what I did. Don't think about next year. Don't think about the year after. Because we don't come to work worried about if we got a job. We're going to come to work to worry about how in the hell we're going to get all these jobs done. And that's what I tell my people. There's four P's I live by. The letter P, as in Paul. I believe in people, skilled people. I believe in process. I believe in providing a good product. And when you can provide people, process, and a product, there ain't but one, one P left. That's profit. You can take that to the bank. That's what I live by. I like that, man. Yeah. I like that a lot. <laughs> man, I've really enjoyed just hearing more about your 
kind of background and what you do with your company. And I definitely want to sit down and chat again sometime. But man, I just want to say thanks for coming on the show today. Is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with? I want to wish everyone Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and God bless everyone's family. Hope they have a great year in a 2023 that's coming up. Hope it's very prosperous for everyone else, including myself and my team and my people. Uh, and you can check me out at King and Weldon, JK Weldon, our Trails West Gate Company. Thank you for having me as well. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. It really has. Oh, I've had a great time chatting, man. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, shoot me a message on the Weld app and let me know what kind of topics or people you would like me to have on in future episodes. Also, if you're trying to score some new equipment and swag, every month there's a mystery box of surprises given away to a lucky premium member, so make sure you don't miss out. I'm Bo Wigington, and until next week, we'll see you out there.